Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Africast. Uh, we're working around load shedding today, so uh, if we suddenly just go quiet, that's why. Because ESCOM is in, still load shedding after an entire week. Uh, joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Hello again everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. Yeah, let's not talk about this week because it's been a, a nightmare, an absolute disaster. Um, yeah, did you guys have a good Easter weekend though? Yeah, it, uh, it came and went. I can't believe it. Every time I think, oh, it's going to be a long, nice long weekend. I'll get stuff done and then uh, work rolls around again and you don't know where the time went. Yeah, and yourself, Robin? Yeah, relatively good. Uh yeah, nothing much to complain about, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. I could complain about the fact that load shedding came back, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a good weekend. Uh, I managed to, to play some Elden Ring, which I'm still hooked on. Damn that game. Anyway, let's move on to uh, the news of the week. Robin, you reviewed a Roomba. Yeah, um, so people will probably know the, the name Roomba when it comes to robotic vacuum cleaners. And yeah, it was my first, I guess smart device of this ilk that we reviewed so i obviously jumped at the opportunity to try it out um and i guess a few can disclaimers uh this thing is expensive so we reviewed specifically the roomba j7 which is available via robot which now has a local presence so they have all i guess the entire lineup of uh, roomba vacuum cleaners for people to purchase and try out and stuff like that um and this one costs 12,999 Rand, uh, kind of depending on where you buy it from. So it does not come cheap. Uh, that said, as uh, Clinton kind of pointed out to me after the review was published, um, something like those uh, really luxurious uh, Dyson uh, vacuum cleaners yeah. go for similar prices. But obviously, there's less elbow grease involved with this one. But um, so, yeah, so you can obviously get something like this. The J7 kind of sits in the middle of the lineup. Uh, there are more expensive ones uh, heading towards the 20,000 Rand mark, uh, but those kind of come with larger uh, docking stations with a bit more features as well as far as how what it can, is able to clean. Uh, things like uh, wet mops and things like that can be added to the Roomba. Uh, but this one specifically uh, can vacuum and has, a, I guess, a, a rotating arm that kind of sweeps up dust into the, the path of the Roomba's kind of suction port, uh, for lack of a better term. And the reason why this one is uh, quite a lot more expensive than, say, the Roomba 698, which usually goes for 4,999, so almost a third less, um, is that it has 10 times the suction power of the Roomba 600 series. Uh, unfortunately, we can't put that to the test because we never, this is our first Roomba reviewing, so we'll have to take iRobot at his word there. But as far as actually cleaning goes, it does a solid enough job. Uh, I say that because um, the actual Roomba itself, there is a camera which is able to detect and sense the objects around it. It also kind of handles all the navigation. And from that perspective, it's really intelligent. Uh, you can, for example, walk right in front of the Roomba and it will stop automatically. Uh, it, it's a really smart piece of tech. Uh, so from a technology standpoint, it is really quite impressive. Um, once the Roomba has kind of worked its way through your house or your home or whatever area you're asking it to clean, it creates a smart map and you can start uh, assigning tasks to it in terms of how much you want it to clean, when you want it to clean. Um, uh, so, so there are, I guess, real nice automation elements to the Roomba. That said, the cleaning is, like I said, it's solid enough. Um, the problem that we encountered was specifically around the skirting boards. Um, 
the Roomba likes to leave almost, I guess, between a five and 10 centimeter gap uh, between the screen, but obviously it doesn't want to damage uh, people's homes. So it does try and avoid obstacles as much as it can. So if uh, we kind of used it in two scenarios, well, one was a two, a two-story uh, house and the other was a single-story apartment. Um, in the house, obviously, you'll have to move the Roomba around. Luckily, it's not too heavy. It weighs about 3.39 kilograms. Um, so moving around isn't too much of a chore. Um, and once you kind of moved it, you can set it up, automate it, and let it do its thing. And that's pretty easy. Um, when you were using it in the single-story apartment, however, um, that's kind of when the skirting board issue kind of showed up. Um, that apartment, uh, speaking anecdotally here, is one that is currently being renovated, so there's a lot of dust. Um, and you can kind of see the difference between the areas that the Roomba did clean well and areas it didn't. It was, it's pretty evident there. So that's probably one element you're probably going to have to do, I guess, maybe a second run with the Roomba or potentially just clean up the areas where it might have missed, which... I guess kind of defeats the purpose because you want this thing to essentially just do everything for you and not have to worry about it. All you have to worry about is ensure that it's charged. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, um, I feel like the Roomba is is very much for people that are into smart homes and into automation. It isn't, I don't think it's going to uh, replace a, a traditional vacuum cleaner and some good old fashioned elbow grease. Um, the only benefit I can potentially see to it is, say, for example, in load shedding scenarios where if the room is already fully charged, you can kind of set it about its business to do its thing. You can also, mm-hmm. if you are working through most of the day or you're working at an office, you can kind of have the Roomba uh, set up to operate remotely. So you can be busy doing whatever outside of the home and the Roomba can kind of do its thing and you're not getting in its way. So there are, I guess, there is some value to it. Uh, I just don't think that for 13000 it is... It is a viable replacement for a traditional vacuum cleaner. Uh, uh, that said, I would potentially like to review the Roomba 698, which is far less expensive at 4,999 Rand. I know that's still a lot of money for a lot of people, uh, but if you compare it to the J7, it is uh, far, far uh, less expensive. So I would like to kind of see what the performance on that is like. And if someone was asking me, uh, uh, are you interested? We should we buy a Roomba, or what are your thoughts on them? I would I would be able to kind of steer them better as far as kind of my experience has been. So, the Roomba J7, I really like the technology. Uh, there's some really cool stuff it's able to do, but if we're talking about pure cleaning, um, it's probably a seven out of ten as far as what it's able to do. Um, it it kind of kind of comes down to how much time you have uh, and whether, <laughs> like me, you're very lazy and don't really feel like vacuum, vacuuming because for me, that's one of the most boring, laborious, soul-destroying <laughs> tasks when it comes to cleaning the home. So, yeah, I, don't un- uh, yeah. I don't understand why it's still circular because it really sounds like the problem with it not being able to get close to walls is because of its shape. If it was square or rectangular, it should be able to get closer. I, d- I just don't understand why they make it into a weird-ass circle. I think it might have to do with, say, for example, desks. It's able to go around them in a circular fashion as opposed to, I guess, a square one. Also, I think rounded edges are a bit more forgiving if they bump into things as opposed to corners. Um, but we yeah, have you have the to speak people about that. <laughs> we, we have, have rubber and plastic <laughs> to put on the corners. It, it just sounds like a weird problem. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the circular shape so, is just because it looks cool. So I have a question, Robin. How did it deal with uh, pet hair? Was that a problem for it? 
Oh, no, it didn't seem to struggle with it at all. Um, okay. So I've got three beagles. Well, in a house where there are three beagles. And um, contrary to popular belief, beagles do shed quite a bit. Mm. And yeah, I didn't struggle at all. Um, okay. There's a little, obviously, a self-contained uh, kind of area that all the dirt and debris kind of get sucked into. Mm. Um, you're probably going to want to have to clean that out uh, after every single session. Uh, we used it uh, for about an hour, and there was a quite a quite a build up there. Um, so yeah, it's just one of the th- one of those things you'll have to be cognizant of. Uh, luckily, there is a nice little feature on the iRobot app where you can see how full things uh, are in terms of the kind of dirt container. Uh, also, you can see the wear and tear on the different parts, the different cleaning parts, and when, how long those are going to last for as well. Mm. So I guess there are kind of cool elements to it um, if you want to geek out over a vacuum cleaner. So, yeah, the one thing that I was concerned about, because uh, this was offered to me to review, but the, the reason I turned it down is because I have a husky um, who sheds pretty much his weight in fur every week. Uh, and yeah, I was really concerned about, uh, pet hair in that regard. Um, but if it can handle it, uh, I suppose. Yeah, I think you just thing. have to be kind of diligent about yeah. just making sure it's clean and everything like that. You yeah. Have to maybe get a smaller vacuum cleaner for your robot vacuum cleaner. Or maybe a less hairy dog. For 13,000, it should, uh, it should, uh, clean itself. Self-cleaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah I really. Mean, how difficult would that be? You just like, you put a bag attached to the little loading dock and then it opens. I don't know. If it shoots it out. Maybe. Maybe yeah, just, maybe SpaceX could create something or NASA. You see, I send it into space. I just think for thirteen thousand, um, it sounds like there's too many problems um, for the price. But again, I didn't yeah. review it. I did read Robin's review. Um, it just seems a bit too flawed for so much money, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this is definitely for. Uh, excuse me, but it's it's definitely for the one percent. It's not for yeah. <laughs> you, you, you kind of general population. But can't the one percent just hire a cleaning service or yeah this is for this staff? is so that the house is clean when the cleaning staff arrive Clinton. because this is like for the silicon bit. valley crowd yeah where they have yeah. to have robots all over I, the place, I it just it just sounds like it's more novelty than function more anyway than function anyway uh something that is functional haha <laughs> good segue uh the answer series i don't know have you guys ever used the answer series uh the study guides they're available in south africa no Okay. Well, I used them when I was uh, in high school. They helped me pass science. Thank you very much. Um, well, those are the ones with the blue and yellow covers. They've now changed to white and red. But yeah, I believe right, it's the I believe I have... it's the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those ones. You know exactly which ones I'm talking about, Robin. There's <laughs> all my all my eighties babies on there, that one. Yeah. So those study guides are really really helpful. Um, for me especially, what they did is they created a a different kind of perspective from my textbook. Because you look at your textbook and your notes and your work that you've done throughout the year, and you, you kind of get stuck into a rut. And these kind of help give a different perspective. They also maybe touch on things that your teacher might not have gone into much detail with. Uh, but this week, they announced that they were launching a really incredible digital subscription service, which gives learners and teachers access to every ebook study guide the series has for what I can only describe as an incredibly low price. So uh, the price depends on which grade you're in, and there's a monthly subscription fee or yearly subscription fee, which you can elect to pay whichever one is is best. So grade 8, a monthly subscription fee will cost you 20 rand. In grade 9, it's 35 rand. And then grades 10 to 12, which are all capped together, is 79 rand. Um, So 
I, at first, I thought that this was a bit weird that grade 10, 11, and 12 were all just one single monthly subscription that gives you access, that gives you access to everything that all the study guides from those grades. But it makes a bit more sense when I think back to like my metric years where there were things that you learned in grade 10 uh, that you would use in metric. And this gives you access to those study guides as well in case you need them. Um, yeah. the, year, the yearly subscription fees are a bit more expensive. So for grade 8, it's 90 Rand. For grade 9, it's 219 Rand. And for grade 12, it's 499 Rand. Um, and to be clear, you get access to every single study guide. So even if you don't do, for instance, um, uh, maths lit, you'll get the maths lit study guide. Uh, I know that that's kind of extraneous, but I, I also understand why the answer series did this. It's easier to give uh, subscribers everything rather than having them select certain things. And then you get messy into the, the cost of things. Um, but what's really nice about this is that it's a cheaper alternative to buying the books, which can retail for like 190 Rand for a single book. Uh, so this is really, really great. Um, and uh, the answer series says that they will that they offer bulk licenses for schools, uh, and th those these can be offered at an attractive volume based pricing. Um, the ebooks are support or can be read using the free Snaplify e reader, and they can be used in conjunction with printed guides from the answer series. Um, yeah, you can head over to the website. There's links in the story that that we wrote yesterday. Uh, but yeah, this is a, this is, I think this is a really really cool. A solution for matrix or even just like high like grade eights and nines uh yeah. to do revision or just augment your studies a little bit and it's actually a re i mean this is less than a netflix subscription guys like 79 rand for every single study guide and the great thing about this is that you don't need to pay it for the entire year you could uh, ostensibly start the subscription uh, a month before exams or two months before exams or whatever and use these as revision and then cancel your subscription and then uh, do it again. I'm probably sure they don't want me saying this, but I mean, <laughs> that is a way that you can do it, right? If, you, if you're strapped for cash and you, you want to do as well as you can, that, that's a way you can go about it. So yeah, I think this is a really great service. Um, it's a wonder that it's taken so long to, to get it, but obviously there's things in the background that need to to take place but yeah I, uh, good job answer series this is this is a really awesome solution yeah something i also wanted to mention now that you brought it up is mm. um the grouping of those last three grades actually really clever because i know a lot of um a lot of parents and schools mm. uh they start preparing you for grade 12 really early yeah sometimes as early as grade 10 so if yeah. you are in grade 10 and you're thinking you know i want to start going for matric stuff you could start having a read of it already if you have a subscription, and then especially in grade eleven when uh, you're getting right up to it, <laughs> yeah, um, having access. So I think that's uh, I think that's very clever. It seems like it's thought out. It seems like it's a good price. It um, mm. it doesn't seem like there's anything bad, bad about or wrong this, yeah. about this. It just seems like a great deal for everybody involved. Exactly. So yeah, check that out. The answer series, uh, as I mentioned, that helps me a lot in high school. I know that was a over a decade ago at this point. But uh, yeah, I think that having study guides really, really helps, just helps augment your studies, gives you a fresh perspective. So yeah, check that out. Uh, Clinton, what have you got yep. for us this week? So uh, in the last few months, it seems like it's been three or four, or even close to six months. If you went on Twitter, there was a good chance that Thor Love and Thunder was trending. And you thought, oh, what happened with Thor Love and Thunder? Did they release a trailer? Did something happen with the movie? No, it was just people talking about the movie and getting really excited for it. And especially in the last few months, getting closer to now, 
people have become ravenous to see this trailer uh, to the point where the director Taika Waititi uh, actually memes about it on on Twitter. So it's been a long time coming. We finally have something about Thor: Love and Thunder. I know a lot of people say it's a trailer. It's not a trailer. It's a teaser and. I don't want to get into the whole quagmire of, uh, you know, what's a teaser and what's a trailer and stuff like that. But we finally have the first official look at this movie. Uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, the first thing is that this movie is very colorful, at least going by this teaser, teaser trailer. Um, I know the Marvel movies get a lot of stick for not looking very bright. Um, they seem to have like a grayish tone over there, the you know, a patina of everything. There's a reason for that. It makes the CGI look better, yada, yada. But it's a big complaint. That and the music, I don't know what the music's going to be in this, but it looks colorful. That's all I can say. It looks even more colorful than Ragnarok. And I know a lot of people love Ragnarok because it's so colorful. So this picks up after um, Endgame. Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's kind of hinted that in the Guardians of in the, the team, they split up at some point and Thor's on his own again. Uh, we see Fat Thor working out to become Thin Thor again. Um, we see uh, Valkyrie Tessa Thompson take, uh, what's it called, heading new Asgard. She's actually called King Valkyrie. And we see everything is just kind of picking up as it goes on. And uh, Thor, despite being, I think he's like 1,500 years old in the uh, the fiction of the universe... He's like, oh, I've got to find myself. Uh, I don't want to fight people anymore. I'm going to be a peace uh, peacekeeper or whatever. But then Gore shows up, and we don't actually see Gore in the teaser. So for those who don't know, Gore is called Gore the God Butcher, which is a uh, quite a long name. Um, in the comics, he's just a regular alien, and he gets a sword. Um, it, it's a whole thing. The the God who created the symbiote. Um, you know, Venom and Anti-Venom, all of that. He made the special sword and he gives it to this guy named Gore and Gore goes around killing all the gods in the Marvel Universe. And Thor, being a god, is uh, quite perturbed by this. And in the teaser, we actually see Thor looking at uh, a god named Phalager, or Phalanger, the behemoth. And I, I put a link to this picture in the story, but it's almost a one-to-one recreation of uh, the comic panel. And I know a lot of people use that term one-to-one a lot, but if you look at the pictures, you'll see it is 100% a one-to-one recreation. So stuff's going to hit the fan. We haven't seen Gore in this teaser. We haven't even seen Christian Bale as the character yet. Uh, There's been some leaks. I think some toys also revealed what the character is going to look at, look like, sorry. Uh, But we haven't seen it yet. But man... um, People are really hyped about this. And the reason I wrote about it, aside from it being a new Marvel movie, is that in 24 hours, it racked up 20 million views, which is a hell of a lot. Um, Just for comparison, the last Marvel trailer we got, the last big Marvel trailer we got, was for Miss Marvel. And that only got 10 million views in the same amount of time. And I know that's not a very fair comparison because this is like the fourth Thor movie. And Thor has been in the MCU for... Um, more than a decade. Just, just as a reminder, the first Thor movie came out in April 2011. What? Uh, feel, yeah, feel bones turned to dust on that one. So Thor's a very popular character. Um, of course, he's going to get more views than Miss Marvel, who's a brand new character. But I just wanted to highlight that that a lot of people they were waiting for this trailer or this teaser. It finally came out, and they really flocked to it. So it, it's I I don't know uh, the how true this is but apparently this is the shortest time between the first 
teaser slash trailer of a Marvel movie and its release. So it came out on, I think, 18th or 19th April. 18th April, and it is coming out on 8th July. Ah. So that's the shortest time between the reveal and the release, which is good for us. I think a lot of people haven't had their Marvel fix properly in a long time because of the pandemic. Um, the ones that did come to theaters, the Eternals and Shang-Chi, were decent for what they were, but they didn't really get people excited. And the Marvel shows, for those who could watch them, they kind of fell into the same category. They weren't these big tentpole movies that people love, and now they find me back. And the last thing I want to mention, it happened right at the end of the teaser as well, we got Jane Foster. She's back, Natalie Portman, and she's Thor as well. Everybody's Thor. Uh, Captain America's Thor, Jane Foster's Thor, a frog is Thor, everybody's Thor. Um, it seems like she has put Milner back together. Um, in Ragnarok, Hela destroys Milner, and it seems like she has somehow put it back together, and she has become Thor. And again, this is all from the comics. There's a big um, comic series where there's a mysterious new Thor, and she's a woman, and no one knows who she is, even though it's very clearly Jane Foster, and the, the mask doesn't obscure her that much. Um, I won't reveal too much about the comic because it might be a spoiler. They might include elements of it in the story. And, and the only th other thing I want to mention before we move on is that um, she's in the trailer for a few seconds, uh, but you see it's her, and people are like, is that Natalie Portman? Is that really her? What? Are you guys blind? <laughs> it's it's, is this her. like a Superman glasses thing <laughs> where it's actually more transformative? It's clearly her. I don't know what people are saying. The only thing, uh, aside from people who don't have face blindness, a lot of people are saying it doesn't look like her because she's put on a lot of muscle, um, which I, I kind of understand. But it's clearly her, guys. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why people think it isn't. Maybe people have legitimate face blindness. Maybe this mask slash helmet she's wearing is actually doing her a job at concealing her. But in the movie, I don't think there's going to be any ambiguity mm. uh, she's going to show up and those are going to be like hey it's jane so yeah that's that's the new uh, teaser are you guys excited for this one yes absolutely <laughs> after um the third thor movie uh ragnarok that's what it's called um yeah. I, I became a fan of thor because oh, i didn't yeah. i didn't the first movie was all right the second movie was awful oh, but yeah. <laughs> uh ragnarok really like kind of cemented thor as a as a character i enjoyed and I'm keen to see Natalie Portman. I mean, it's kind of obvious that they were going to pick her as Thor, even if, like, the story changed. And they would have, I'm pretty sure they would have fought to make her uh, Thor because she's just such a big actress. And yeah, I think she's like the, like, Robert Downey Jr. for Iron Man, right? If they're going to make Thor a female now, then I think she's the obvious choice to play Thor. Yeah, I, I don't know how long she's going to be Thor. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if this is like a Chris Hemsworth is out and now we've got Natalie Portman. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And again, this is all this is all happening in the comics, and she wasn't Thor, you know, indefinitely. She wasn't the new like replacement. So I don't know how much that's going to happen. I could be mistaken. Maybe after this movie comes out, Chris Hemsworth is like, okay, guys, I'm out. Um, you take it over, Natalie Portman. But. It might just be for one movie. It might be for multiple movies. It might be a Disney Plus show. Disney Plus finally coming to South Africa next month. Um, so, yeah, we, we don't know. We're just guessing at this point. And uh, yourself, Robin, you excited for this one? Um, I'm kind of on the fence at the moment. Uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed Ragnarok. Um, I'm just hoping that 
they draw a lot more on the Mighty Thor comic as mm. far as storyline goes. And if it does kind of hit the same beats, it would be a really cool uh, ending to the film. Uh, it's yeah. a comic book if they're using that as a key reference. Uh, but yeah, hopefully they kind of draw a bit more inspiration than just the headline-grabbing thing of uh, Jane Foster is also Thor now. Yeah, because again, the, the whole arc in the comics that this seems to be based on was... Um... It was it was a lot a lot happened uh, you know again I won't spoil it but they have a lot to tackle and it seems like they're not just doing what was in that comic arc they're doing extra stuff and a lot of people had the same worries because Ragnarok was loosely based on um, Planet Hulk and people worried they weren't be going to be able to fit Planet Hulk into that movie and then they didn't because it wasn't a Hulk movie at all so it could be a one to one recreation it could be not at all. We'll have to wait and see. And like I mentioned, we're not going to have to wait long. So that's pretty good. Fantastic. And hopefully, we'll be. Uh, if you don't want to go to the cinema, it'll arrive on Disney Plus, which is launching well, in eighteen on eighteen March. I mean, obviously after the theatrical release. Yeah. Um. If you don't eighteen wanna... May, right? Yeah, eighteen May is yeah. uh, is, uh, is uh, Disney, Disney Plus, Plus in South yeah. Africa. Speaking so of streaming arrive. services. <laughs> Uh, Netflix this week uh, revealed its financial results for the first quarter of the year, and it was not good. Um, the firm revealed that for the first time in a decade, it had lost subscribers. That number is 200,000 subscribers. It's not that big of uh, a loss when you look at how many um, total subscribers there are, which is 222 million. Um, however... What Netflix did reveal is that it estimates that over 130 million households are sharing are using a shared account. Um, this means that they are sharing accounts with somebody who is not inside that house, uh, which Netflix doesn't allow as per its terms of service. Um, and yeah, so uh, Netflix explained to shareholders in the near term, we're not growing revenue as fast as we'd like. COVID clouded the picture significantly. Oh, sorry, clouded the picture by significantly increasing our growth in 2020, leading us to believe that most of our slowing growth in 2021 was due to COVID pull forward. Now we believe there are four main interrelated factors at work. So what are those factors? The first three are things that Netflix can't uh, can't really control. So the first is uh, the fact that growth of, of the growth of next sorry, the growth of Netflix's market isn't entirely dependent on it. So that's this is smart TVs and broadband, as well as the the cost of data, uh, lower adoption of Netflix. And that makes sense because streaming video is very in data, is very data intensive. And data costs a lot of money, especially in places like South Africa. The second factor uh, is the aforementioned account sharing. Um, while Netflix says the share of paying them, paying members and shared accounts as a percentage hasn't changed over the years, the fact that it now has a large number of subscribers means that this number itself is bigger. So while it might only be 10% and that 10% hasn't changed, 10% of a billion is a lot more than 10% of a million. So that's where it's starting to see uh, see problems. Uh, the third factor is uh, Netflix entered the market when there was almost no other stre- uh, streaming platforms around. However, now everybody and their dog has a, a streaming solution. Uh, HBO Max has one. Paramount has one. Uh, th- there's just so many. CNN had one. They've now canceled it. But yeah, 
everybody has a streaming service. And finally, the other one is that um, uh, macro factors such as a sluggish economy, they also pointed to the war in uh, Ukraine and Russia, uh, increasing inflation have likely led to a slower uptake of Netflix subscriptions. So a couple of people have kind of relished in this fact, stating that uh, this was Netflix's own doing because uh, Elon Musk put it really questionably, saying the woke mind virus is making Netflix unwatchable. And I don't agree with him, mostly because anybody that adds woke as some sort of poke, like some sort of tease at people in some sort of nefarious way uh, is immediately just grounds for me to ignore what you're saying. Um but I want to discuss why Netflix might be losing so many subscribers. Uh, I have a few theories of my own, but let, let's put it let's put it to the room. Uh, Robin, why do you think Netflix lost two hundred thousand subscribers? Um, so I think growing competition. I know that we've said that mm. every every tech company and their dog has a, a streaming platform at the moment. But I think something like Disney Plus is starting to really make some inroads as far as the streaming landscape goes. Um, And obviously, we've seen it ourselves. We've been aching to know when Disney Plus will be available in South Africa. Um, You kind of see what's happening on Twitter when people are mentioning what's happening in shows that they shouldn't be able to watch. (laughs) But somehow, they know everything that's happening in the show. So there's clearly an interest in stuff like Disney Plus. Uh, We also need to think about something like HBO Max. I know there hasn't been any word on when... that is potentially coming to South Africa, but that could also be another game changer. We've seen a lot of um, platforms and uh, studios use streaming platforms to air their latest content uh, in the form of movies. So I think that Netflix is really fighting a battle there as far as kind of dominating the space is concerned. And that was always going to happen. Um, I think another potential factor is Netflix's own catalog. Um, I routinely kind of go through there and I'm seeing a lot of content, one, that doesn't appeal to me, but two, there is simply just uh, curiously oh, too much content, I think. Yeah, I think there's, there's just too much content to kind mm. of wade through. Um, and uh, we know that Netflix has been investing heavily. I think uh, a couple of months ago, they released the trailer kind of showcasing all the massive movie projects they had on the go and they had some really 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 big names uh, attached to these projects i know that obviously guys like uh, uh ryan reynolds and the rock have been mainstays in netflix projects over the past couple of years but they're bringing on a lot more high profile ta- talent a lot of a-list stars and that investment needs to reap uh, returns and i'm not too sure if it necessarily will um so I also feel like Netflix is throwing a lot of things at the wall and opening sticks. Uh, you think about the kind of polarizing anime live action adaptations they like to do. Yeah. Uh, Cowboy Bebop immediately springs to mind when you think about that. Um, so yeah, it's... Weirdly, I think Netflix is perhaps stretching itself too thin um, as far as what it's trying to do. And yeah, I think it's probably a combination of those two factors, at least the way I see it. Clinton, why do you think Netflix has lost 200,000 subscribers? Uh, I, I mirror a lot of what Robin says. I want to go further than what he said and say that um, those quotes you read, Brendan, they are a load of BS. <laughs> and Netflix wants to think itself blameless in all of this, um, 
all of this quote-unquote downturn. And first of all, I also want to say that it's absolute BS that they're saying, oh, growth isn't as good as we want. What? Uh, this is this is a problem with um, all publicly traded companies. Netflix is public, right? I don't really keep yeah, up with yeah, the stock yeah, market. No. But they need to make more money every quarter, not just every year. They need to make more money every quarter. And you just can't sustain that growth without starting to do some really shady stuff or lowering quality or rising prices or, as it seems they're going to do, making it more difficult for people to use your service by taking away password sharing. And again, they haven't said they're going to do it yet, but it's it's almost certain they will. And I, I just think Netflix is out of their minds to think that they blame this in all, they, in all of this. They want to say, oh, there's a war in Europe. That's why people aren't subscribing to Netflix. What? <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. And before the war in Europe, they wanted to blame COVID, which is also insane. Their uh, stuff should have been going up, right? People are spending more time at home and with more free time because they didn't need to commute. Surely there would have been more Netflix subscribers, right? Uh, yeah, so I, I really think a lot of the problems are to do with Netflix and nothing to do with the world and their competitors and stuff like that. Um, like Robin said about the content, why does Netflix keep um, cancelling its shows that people love to watch? Why does Netflix keep not improving its algorithm and serving people stuff they clearly don't want to watch? Why aren't they doing things better as a streaming service? I don't want to say they've become complacent. I just think that there's... There's something wrong, either with the management or the directives or how the um, the whole operation is run. And I don't want to say it makes me sick, but it's just ridiculous that they can um, release uh, press releases and stuff like that and say, oh, it's we faultless in all of this. So uh, the world is conspiring against us. Go ahead. I'm, so you, I'm rambling. Go so ahead. you don't want to you don't want to say that they've become complacent, but I will say that they have become complacent. Um, if you look at things like Orange is the New Black, how many people are still watching that show? And Netflix keeps investing in it. There are new se- new seasons of that show. Um, if you look at their documentaries, right over the past couple of months, uh, a mate of mine and I have been talking about how there needs to be a new Netflix um, category called people who scammed other people and this the story of the people who were scammed because 90 percent of documentaries are about that mm. um and at first it was really interesting and now i'm kind of just gotten to the point where i'm like really do none of you watch netflix could none of you have seen this coming um so i think that they they kind of found something safe in that idea that uh you could <clears throat> create stories about people being scammed and show them and oh it's it's really sad and whatever uh but even if you look at like their movies and stuff ryan reynolds and the rock are mainstays as robin mentioned in uh, netflix content Uh, when was the last time netflix had a big uh movie that wasn't uh starring ryan reynolds or the rock i mean the last big one was the adam project which was okay i guess it wasn't as bad it was, it was bland. Some toast. Exactly. It was just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but it also wasn't amazingly mind blowing either. Like, it's it's just they've fallen into a routine, in my opinion, and that is what is costing them subscribers. The other side of this is that I think Netflix has realized too late that its uh, growth is not going to come from the US and Canada. Uh, it mentioned this in its Q4 results for 2021. And it made mention of it here again. They said, over the longer term, much of our growth will come from outside the U.S. Traditionally, U.S. entertainment companies have viewed international as an export market for U.S. content. When we saw long, 
But we saw long ago that great stories can be made anywhere and loved everywhere. I'm just going to call this BS because the only two big international shows that Netflix has had found some success with are um, La Casa de Papel, which is Money Heist, and Squid Game. Right, there's. A, I one, think they're locked into both of them. <laughs> I, I agree with you there, hundred percent. Squid Game was something that they the director battled for a decade to get to get a green light on, and then Netflix was like, okay, I guess now that nobody else wants it, we'll take it, um, and they lucked out. And then Money Heist is just a really good story that I once again also believe that Netflix just kind of it fell into their lap. Um, if you look at stuff like it's international stuff or stuff that's based locally, right? Like I think one of the biggest, the, one of the bigger local things that happens is How to Ruin Christmas, which is once a year. Um, I mean, Queen Sono was just uh, what's happened with that show. What's happened with uh, uh, now? I can't remember the name. <laughs> the one with the high school swimming. Uh, sorry. I think it's called blood and water yeah blood and water blood blood and water like what happened with that i mean i know that the the pandemic has put a pin in a lot of these things but it just feels to me like netflix is like we're gonna invest in this country and entertainment in this country and unless you get something that is talked about in every country it's not something that they're going to invest in anymore so for me i think that netflix has realized way too late that there are more markets than just the united states and maybe you should explore making content in those markets. Um, something else, uh, building off of this. Sorry, I've now I've now ranted. Uh, no, something great. that something that was mentioned in uh, the call with investors was adding an advertising was adding advertising at a lower end and a lower end plan to the service. Now we know that I know that uh, I believe it's Hulu does this uh where you pay a lower subscription fee but then you have to deal with advertising yeah um is this something that could save netflix because i don't believe it is robin what do you think um i don't necessarily think it can save netflix also i'm not of the opinion that netflix necessarily needs saving this is a huge platform we're talking yeah, about here fair enough um but i misspoke no no i i hear what you're saying um for me though i think a I guess a lower tier that has advertising, I wouldn't be against it. It just kind of depends, one, what the price is, mm. and two, what kind of advertising we're getting. Because we have seen that uh, when it comes to something like YouTube, advertising can get quite pervasive and mm-hmm. um, it can get quite uh, uh, intense as, as as far as impacting your viewing experience goes. So it for me, it all depends on how they handle advertising. So I would definitely be interested in a... Uh, less expensive tier but again uh, netflix have to kind of tread lightly as far as how intense they want to be about the, the advertising because it can very much go the other way um it could one uh either push people back onto the more expensive one which i which i guess is kind of what maybe they want or two it just pushes them away from the platform entirely yeah uh your thoughts um i, I think it's a decent idea you know, as far as things go, it's also it, it should cost them like next to nothing to spin something like that up. I'm mm. sure there's already big advertising companies you can get your massive brands and they can just advertise immediately. So it in the sh- in the short term, 
it's probably the fastest way to grow users and bring in more money through advertising. So I think it's almost a certainty that they're going to do it. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's a, a short-term boost and not a long-term solution. But again, like I mentioned, because of the way these companies work and the fact that every quarter needs to be more and more, just having one or two good quarters based on the back of this may be enough for the uh, for the bean counters to be happy. So I, I think it's going to happen. But something I want to mention that I didn't in the beginning when we were talking about the subscriber growth or lack of growth of the, uh, there is that there's only a finite amount of people in the world. Mm. Does, does Netflix know this? Um, <laughs> there's only a certain number of people in the world and there's only a certain percentage of those people who will get Netflix. And there's just at some point you're going to have all the subscribers you're going to have and you can't have more growth. Yeah. I, it's just, again, it's a, it's a problem with these big companies. They just don't seem to realize that there's a ceiling to all of this. Maybe they've reached market saturation and they're never going to go up. Maybe this quarter or wherever they had the bad report is permanent and every year it's going to get worse. And from this news, I've only seen resentment towards Netflix. Mm. They raise the prices. They keep canceling shows. Their algorithm is garbage. There's more um, options out there. They just more and more are becoming less desirable. And someone really pointed this out. Is that you have to think of um, Netflix, even though it's a luxury product, right? No one needs Netflix to survive. Even though it's a luxury product, I think a lot of people view subscriptions as utilities, for lack of a better word, right? Mm. It is something that goes off your bank account every month and you don't think about it. But when you start rising prices and you're in the news for doing dumb stuff and you're talking about making it less um, accessible, people start doing a cost uh, versus benefit analysis and they start thinking, do I really need this? Mm. You know, I've been paying for it for years, but right now they're doing so much bad stuff. Do I really need to pay for it? And once people start thinking about your product, um, that's supposed to be a utility, a service that's just supposed to go off their um, their account every month. That's when people start canceling. And again, I, I don't want to say, oh, it's a slippery slope. This is a sign of things to come. But maybe this is the point where people start thinking, you know what, maybe I'm I'm going to cancel Netflix. Maybe I don't need mm. it anymore. And I, I mean, think, yeah, go ahead, Britton. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to reach that point myself. And I mean, we've only had Netflix in South Africa since like 2017, I want to say. I stand to be corrected, but I believe it was 2017. Um, and I'm already just like, I, I go through Netflix almost every day and look for something to watch. And I'm just like, I guess I'll watch something that I've watched a hundred times again because nothing here looks interesting. Yeah. Um, I, maybe that's just personal preference. But I mean, if I go onto something like Showmax, I'm, I'm kind of like spoiled for choice because it's not just one type of content. And I feel that that's where Netflix is starting to kind of become stagnant. Uh, to, to throw back to what Elon Musk said about wokeness being the catalyst for net, nobody using Netflix anymore or whatever it's called. Um, I don't think that's the issue. I think the, the, biggest net, the biggest issue that Netflix has is that it's afraid to take risks. Um, if you look at stuff like, like Squid Game was a risk, sure, but it was also something that wasn't, I don't think Netflix thought would catch on in, in other countries outside of South Korea. Yeah. Um, but if you look at like things like the Adam Project, right? That's just a good, friendly, family fun time. 
you look at something else that Ryan Reynolds has done, like Six Underground. In my oh, opinion, oh. It, that and the Adam Project are basically the same movie. Um, Six Underground is supposed to be this gritty action thriller violence thing, but it, it, it kind of flops. It just feels yeah. like Ryan Reynolds being a comedy guy with explosions. Well, like, what about uh, uh, Red Notice? It was the biggest yeah. movie in the world, and no one talks about it anymore. It had no cultural impact. It was so inoffensive and milk toast, and no one cares. And but it made Netflix. I don't know if it directly made Netflix money, but a lot of people watched it. It was the most watched movie yeah. that year. So, I mean, do they just want to become this factory where they churn out this nonsense? I mean, to my to my mind, it started with Bright when Bright was. Hyped up as this big new entrance into this new world where humans and mythical creatures are living together, and they made one movie. It was a flop, and we never heard about Bright ever again. Um, and that's just become a trend for Netflix. It's like, oh, this is a cool movie. I wonder if it'll get. Oh, sorry, it's been cancelled. Oh, Santa Clarita Diet. I really enjoy that show. I wonder if it'll get a third. Nope, sorry, it's been cancelled. Patriot Act with the Sun Minaj. Oh no, sorry, also cancelled. Like it's it's just it's they find something that people like and then they cancel it because it does it fails to meet their expectations. Now there is something to be said about like having expectations and trying to meet them. But when you're just throwing stuff at the wall constantly, hoping something sticks, nothing is going to stick because you're just throwing more stuff at the wall. And that wall's getting covered with other stuff. It it just doesn't work. And I feel that like Netflix is trying to play it safe and that doesn't work for them. If you look at something like um, Apple TV+, Plus, which I think is doing a really damn good job, Apple TV+, Plus takes risks, right? They went and poured a million dollars into Foundation, which is based off of an age-old Isaac Asimov story. Sure, it's like the grandfather of sci-fi, but a lot of people don't understand the story or haven't read it, don't know what it is. And it was, by all accounts, a reasonable success. Right? I'm not saying it was blowing people's hair away like Ted Lasso does, but, I mean, it was a reasonable, reasonably successful storyline. And they took a risk doing that. And it's not something that I could see Netflix ever doing. I can't see Netflix going in and saying, hey, let's make this massive sci-fi epic like, and and, and just pour everything into it. Make it as... Yeah, so make it like Dune. Make it a really complex story. Make it, make it, just do something that appeals to a smaller group of people, maybe, and that will, you can grow from there. But right now, it just seems like, like we've said, they're throwing stuff at the wall and nothing is sticking. Absolutely. What was the last good thing on Netflix that you guys watched? Actually, I don't know. Um, Man, I watched Titan season three, but that was awful. But that's not oh, Netflix really original, bad. though, is it? Oh yeah. Oh, you mean originals? That that was the yeah. last thing I watched on Netflix. Let, let me pull up Netflix. Hold on, hold on. Uh, Robin, if you have one off the top of your head, which isn't a good sign that uh, we have to think this hard mm-hmm. about what I watch. Um, yeah, nothing springs to mind. Um, I guess while things kind of looking for me, it's the the Netflix strategy doesn't seem to make sense. Um, like you mentioned. Uh, a lot of the kind of documentary stuff is very samey um, because I think they've they've seen that that that's what's viral, that's what gets people talking about Netflix and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've also seen a lot of content around 
dating and like love island-esque stuff, yep. which I personally am not a fan of at all. But for whatever reason, because it tracks well on social media and with uh, other people online, Netflix are going to pour a lot more money into that. Um, and I, I want to take the example of Cowboy Bebop again, which season one was terrible. We can't deny that. Yeah. But what we can say is that Netflix could have tried to make season two better. They could have taken on the criticism, seen what was wrong with the show, and actually make a better show. But instead of doing that, they decided to pull the plug completely. And I really feel like something like, um, they're currently developing One Piece. Uh, some of the shootings actually happening here in South Africa, which yeah. is quite cool. But One Piece is a huge, huge property, a huge IP. Yeah. And if you guys get that wrong, you, you essentially erode all faith that any subscriber has in you creating content. Uh, I know that the Netflix anime adaptation has been memed to death now, but it's, <laughs> there's a reason why that's been happening. It's because yeah. they can't seem to get that right. It just gets worse. It just keeps yeah. getting worse. I mean, the Death Note one was already bad. Like, I'm not an anime fan, right? So I watch these because... I think, oh, maybe this will be a, a good way for me to enter this world. I watched Death Note. It, it it put me off of anime completely. I watched Cowboy Bebop and I was like, is this was this filmed with real people? Or was this just AI? Because like everything just felt so wooden and oh, it was bad. Anyway, sorry, Clinton, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I just um I wanted to say that the last great thing that I watched on Netflix that was a Netflix original was uh, Bo Burnham's Inside. That was like more than a year ago at this yeah. point. It came out a long time ago. So I guess I could say Ozark is pretty good, but that's also like that has uh, uh, an end date, an expiration date, which is this final season that's coming up, which I think helps it. Um, but I mean, I suppose maybe the Umbrella Academy could be good, but even that I'm now worried about because if this next season isn't spectacular, uh, will Netflix just cancel it? Um, Formula One drives to survives last season, despite having the most epic Formula One season of the year. It was so boring. I fell asleep watching it. I just, I don't know where, where they're going wrong, but something needs to change Netflix. Maybe your writing team needs to, to, to go on a, like a retreat to do something because it's just not working anymore. Everything you're throwing just doesn't work. I mean, I recently watched a movie called Metal Lords, which was just, it was so painful to watch. And I just wondered, like, had Netflix at any point stepped in and said, hey, guys, maybe maybe, maybe the script needs some work here. And I think that's the other side of this is that I wonder how much oversight Netflix has over the content that gets produced. Because sometimes I, I watch things and I'm just like, how did this get through production? Uh, Robin, you talk about uh, the dating stuff that happened. There was recently a, a show called Ultimatum that's been doing the rounds. It's rather popular in South Africa. If you want to see the worst of humanity, I, I recommend that show. Um, it's called The Ultimatum Marry or Move On. It is – I don't know how people watch this. I don't know how it's the second most watched thing in South Africa at the moment as we're recording People this. love junk. I mean, it's just. I mean, then you have Manifest as well, which is just a bad series. Don't watch Manifest. Save your time. You can literally watch the first and last episode of the seasons that are on Netflix, and you'll know what's going on. It is a terrible series, but it it keeps being popular. And I also do. Sorry, now I'm ranting. But the top ten that Netflix showcases, I wonder how much of that is actually people 
who are watching Netflix and how much of it is the algorithm saying you should watch this because Anatomy of a Scandal, which is widely regarded as having one of the worst endings, uh, is number one. The Ultimatum, which has now been out for most of April, is 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 still number two. Like, I just I don't understand how this works because a lot of these these shows are just bad. I don't know how people are watching them. Bridgerton is number four. That I can understand. Number five is The Marked Heart. What? I haven't even heard of that movie. The White Queen, also never heard of it. Rough Night, which is abhorrent. It's such a bad movie. Uh, then we have Senzo, uh, Murder of a Soccer Star. Documentary, yeah. That one I can understand because that's local, but it's also really high up on the top 10. The White Princess. So we have The White Queen and The White Princess, and then The Spanish Princess. I don't know what any of these are. A lot um, of princesses. I haven't seen talk of them on social media at all. Um, and I like to think that I have a rather wide net because it's not just my feed I'm looking at. I'm looking at Hypertext feed. So, I mean, none of these shows I've seen people talking about, and yet they're in the top 10. So, yeah, it's. I think it's also partly decision fatigue, right? So you get onto Netflix and there's just this wall of content. And it's like, okay, so what do I watch? Most of this I've already seen. Like, because I watch Meet the Parents, I'm now being uh, offered Ace Ventura, which I've seen. Dumb and Dumber 2, which I've seen. Austin Powers, which I saw when I was like in primary school. Kindergarten, all these movies are so old. It's just like, okay, uh, can you recommend me something new that you have maybe? Like there's but just you so many problems. Stuff in the back, in the back room. Yeah. Go check the back room for me. <laughs> yeah, go check in the back, please. Got any? Uh, got any? Some some later series there. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like anytime Netflix takes hold of something, it it ruins it. Like Snowpiercer is now a Netflix original, apparently, and the latest season of Snowpiercer, horrible, absolutely horrible. I'm uh, I'm also irritated by the fact that how spotty the collection is. For example, I wanted to rewatch uh, some of the Back to the Future movies. They've got none of them in South Africa. I had to use a VPN to go through. Sorry, my friend had to use a VPN <laughs> to go through Japan to watch them of all places. Yeah. Then I wanted to watch um, the Lego movies, right? There's like three of them. They only have the Lego Ninjago movie, which is the worst of the three. What? And my friend, again, had to go through Japan to watch the Batman movie and the original Lego movie. Oh, there's, sorry, there's four of them. There's also the Lego movie, too. So wh- why do they have one of them and not the other ones? And it's like, it can't be licensing because the Lego movie, the Lego movie, too, and the Lego Ninjago movie are all owned by the Lego group. That's like one conglomerate. I can understand why they wouldn't have, like, the Batman one because that belongs to DC and Warner Brothers. But then why would they have the Ninjago one and not the other two? It's It just boggles the mind. And again, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons when it comes to licensing. And I said, oh, there's probably no licensing reasons, but there probably is licensing mm. reasons. But it's just, can you guys not sort that out? Why does my friend have to go through a paid VPN service through Japan of all places to access this content? It's insane. Yeah, uh, it's it's just very confusing to me. And I know that, uh, Clinton, you mentioned with licensing. I mean, we have uh, multi-choice, which kind of has a stranglehold on content in South Africa. And we also have to contend with the fact that we don't have things like HBO Max or Paramount Plus or whatever it may be in South Africa. But then again, this is where I feel Showmax kind of has a leg up on Netflix in that it is able to license these uh, content from other places and put it on its streaming service because it has no allegiance to anybody. 
uh, obviously except to itself. Um, but it just makes for a better service. And this is now going, I'm sure we've had this discussion before, but in a, by the end of the decade, do any of us foresee, because I do, I foresee a aggregated streaming service, much like Showmax, where it's not just, oh, here's our original content and a little bit of stuff that we've licensed, but here's stuff that we have licensed that you can pay, that you can pass a, a subscription for and you can access. Do we see that happening at some point in the future? I do. Robin? Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix kind of go the same route as Plex and try to almost have like a, um, a self-service buffet style streaming mm. uh, platform where people can pick and choose what they want. That to me would probably make a bit more sense because we, we've, we've kind of hopped on a bit about licensing. Um, the licensing on Netflix doesn't make sense. Uh, I'm going to stick with anime because that's what I, what I stream a lot on the platform. Something like uh, Haikyuu, which is a volleyball anime series. Mm. The first two seasons I, I watched on Netflix, that's how I got into the series. Season three and four have been out for a while now. I can only watch season three and four on Crunchyroll. Why can't I watch it on Netflix? It doesn't make sense. If you have the first season, surely you have three and four at some point. So I don't know. It's again, we kind of, we have to go back to the point of Netflix throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and then going with that until it doesn't work and then canceling it. It's just, it, it becomes uh, supremely frustrating because you start to erode the confidence uh, from your subscribers and your users. And I'm already starting to look at other kind of alternatives. I mentioned Plex. I might just head over to Plex and like Clinton, get a friend who has a VPN and see what I can do like that. So yeah, it's, it's just really frustrating. Clinton. I, I don't think much will change because these companies are too greedy. I think what's much more likely is that companies just buy each other because you don't need to worry about licenses if you own the company that uh, has the content. I think it's very foreseeable that Disney or some other company just buys Netflix or another company. And people might say, oh, this company's too big, this company's too big. But Disney and uh, Microsoft with the recent buying of companies, they've shown that you can just throw tens of billions of dollars to buy something. Mm -hmm. So I think the only way things will change is with these massive swings in ownership. And I really don't think it's too unlikely. I actually think it's a certainty, especially with, I don't want to get into the whole thing of antitrust laws getting worse and worse, but these big companies just keep buying each other and becoming even bigger. And there doesn't seem to be any regulations in place to stop this. So it's going to get worse and worse, and the only way we're going to get back to a system where you can buy one subscription and get everything that isn't like cable um, is with these companies buying each other. And again, a lot of people have pointed this out, but we're getting closer to the cable model where you want one subscription that has everything, but now we're streaming. And Netflix was supposed to solve the solution, and it's only made it worse. Yeah, I um. I don't really have much hope that Netflix will will be able to address its loss of subscribers. And I suspect that in the quarters to come, we'll hear about more losses. Um, with the exception of big releases, um, 
uh, it's unfortunate that Netflix really uh, gave its uh, financial results now because Ozark, the final season of Ozark, is set to release at the end of the month. And uh, I'm pretty sure that will bring in some subscribers. That having been said, uh, I also suspect that a lot of people are now going to be turning to uh, piracy for most things Netflix-related. And yeah, that kind of sucks for them. But it's a bet that they've kind of made for themselves at the end of the day. Um, Like I said, I don't think it's because their content is too quote-unquote woke. I think it's just the content is bad and the price that you pay for that content is too high and folks don't want to pay much, a lot of money. Oh, People don't want to pay a lot of money for stuff that doesn't really appeal to them. And at the yeah. moment, Netflix is not appealing. Sorry, guys. Get a Ted Lasso. Get a foundation. Get a master or a halo series get something that is going to keep people coming back and don't cancel it after one season put effort into things a bit more effort than you are um and i know that folks that are working on these things like uh, i might be making them feel bad but at the end of the day the product that we are presented as subscribers just doesn't feel worth the price anymore even my parents aren't even using netflix anymore and they don't have to pay for it. So, I mean, that that kind of tells you where it is. Um, so, yeah, Netflix, get better, please. We just want good content. Go back to what you were doing because what you're doing now doesn't work. Um, it's the old Netflix. Yeah. Back in the hood, Netflix. Back in the day. <laughs> back in the day when things were good. Uh, but I think that's going to wrap it up from us uh, for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh Sorry, does anybody have anything else that they want to add? I'm just ending this without asking anybody their final closing thoughts. Um, it's going to get very interesting in South Africa with the launch of Disney Plus because it's cheaper and they've got a big launch special where you get 12 months for the price the price of eight months. So in South Africa, at least, things are going to get real hot and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Netflix South Africa puts out a statement saying, we we got problems, we need to raise our prices or something. Um. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, Robin, any closing thoughts? Yep. Um, can't wait for the Crunchyroll and Funimation consolidation to happen. Then uh, I will likely be bidding Netflix adieu uh, <laughs> because the only other animated content I like on their platform is probably Love, Death, and Robots, and that's probably it. Yeah. yeah. That was so, announced for a second season, but, I mean, do you think we'll get another season after that? I'm wait, has that not come out yet? Volume 3 is coming out soon. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I need to watch that. That was pretty cool. That was a good show. But now, yeah. there's an original show where you have smaller animators kind of putting forward interesting ideas and interesting episodes, but none of them are being tapped up to create original series and movies. It Again, it boggles the mind. <laughs> yeah, that, that in itself also, yeah, that's bizarre, Netflix. Come on. Like, you have... Uh, uh, come on. Oh, just... Oh, anyway, that's it from us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, from myself, Brendan Lodge, cheerio from Glitz and Matos. Bye, everybody. And from Robin Lichetti. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Cheers. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.